0: great to see you today welcome to union chapel i'm greg paris and we're so thrilled that you're here with us this morning and uh, enjoying god's presence and god's people it's a great day so i hope you're well we are embarking on a new series this weekend i'm very very excited about talking about the apostles creed it is an affirmation historic affirmation of the christian faith and what we're going to learn in the next six weeks is exactly what we believe as christians now what you believe matters very important. So we're going to learn what you believe, why we believe it, and why it matters so much. And I hope it'll be encouraging to you. I, I know it will. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to t- take today from the first phrase: "I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth." We're taking from the Psalmist, uh, Psalm of David, Psalm eight, and we can see the wonderful creative virtue of God Himself. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm eight. If not, we will project the words on the screen for you. So. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word so as you're able, thank you for doing that. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens, and through the praise of children and infants you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild and the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim in the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I mean, God inspires us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Well, as you know, change is the new normal in our world. The velocity of change, cultural, technological change, is overwhelming. And one of the ways that people are framing the world today is through this acronym called VUCA, V-U-C-A. Let me tell you what it stands for. The V stands for volatility, the nature, magnitude, and dynamics of change. The U stands for uncertainty, the, the growing unpredictability of events and issues. The C stands for complexity, the chaos in which organizations find themselves, and this chaos seems to be compounding itself. And the A stands for ambiguity, the haziness of reality and the mixed meaning of the conditions. Volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. It is rampant in our world. Think about Rip Van Winkle. Everybody remember Rip? Rip Van Winkle is the guy who fell asleep and woke up 20 years later. For most of history, Rip Van Winkle could have fallen asleep and, and awoken 20 years later and nothing much would have changed. But think about falling asleep 20 years ago and waking up. What if you fell asleep 50 years ago? Say you were, were uh, working on an assembly line in one of the auto plants in Detroit, Michigan in the late 1960s and you fell asleep and you just woke up and you woke up in the middle of Los Angeles. I mean, what, would, it be, would it be shocking would it be unbelievable? I mean, what would, what would impress you the most? Maybe the fall of the Soviet Union? That would get your attention. What about bottled water? And Wi-Fi? I mean, you can't even comprehend it. And that's not to mention Lady Gaga. What? There's no reference for that. We have the acceleration of technology social change, sexual and marital dynamics, globalization, swirling ideologies, religious beliefs. Jim Collins, uh, one of my go-to authors, uh, management guru, best-selling author, he said, there will be no new normal. We are now dealing with a world that is going to be ferocious. The volatilities, the turbulence, the uncertainties of the world will probably define the rest of our lives. And so these are the realities that we live in. The uncertainty, the constant change, the dynamic and turbulent nature of that change is all around us in every category we can mention. So here's the question. In the midst of this kind of chaos, what should the people of faith be doing? How should the church respond? It's a great question and a very important question. If we can get the answer to this question even halfway right, it'll do us, it'll do us good. And you say, well, look, I know it's an important question. What should the church be doing? How should the church respond? I'm just trying to figure out how I'm supposed to respond. Well, listen, if you'll know how the church should respond, you'll have a good clue on how you should respond. Now, I have a conviction about some of the things the church should be doing, and I want to mention the one that pertains to our subject at this point. I believe that we need to double down on the things that won't change. Here's what I mean the foundations, the fundamentals of our faith. We must teach the next generation the things that matter. We must teach our children and new believers the Bible, the history of the church, traditions, the basic doctrines of the church, and all of that so that we define well and maintain a steady footing on the foundation, the cornerstone of the Christian faith. Now, there are people today who are doubling down on things such as teaching skills. If you think that teaching the next generation skills is the best use of your life, then go ahead. But listen, in just a few years, every skill that you learn today will be passe. If you think that doubling down on institutional structures is the best use of your life, go ahead. But let me just prophesy for you. Let me predict the future institutional structures are going to continue to erode and pass away the only thing that is unshakable is the truth of God and we need to double down on teaching one another new believers as I say these important truths we must engage the process of Christian catechesis. That's a fancy word. It simply means providing spiritual training and guidance for our children and grandchildren. Now the word catechesis, it's interesting. It comes from, our, from a root word that is in our current vernacular, the word echo. is that interesting? So teaching the basics of the faith is about echoing the faith. The idea is that we pass on the faith to those who receive it And then we learn it, we pass it on to the next generation and to the next generation so that we are echoing the truth of the Christian faith from one generation to another. And this will keep the church connected to the sacredness of the apostolic message. A great reason why I'm excited about this series is because in learning the distinctives found in the Apostles' Creed, we will be connecting ourselves with the saints of the past. And it's right to be connected to this great cloud of witnesses that surround us. And so we'll be connecting with them and the apostolic message. And it will be a warning against those who are tempted to reconstruct the faith to conform to modern sentiment and the latest cultural trend. In times of of such upheaval and change, the temptation is to conform the message to the current cultural idea. And this will be a reminder against that sort of thing. Let me just uh, then offer this statement. I mentioned it as we began. Let me put it on the screen. It is important that we know what we believe. It's important that we know why we believe it. And it's important to know why it matters. So for these next six weeks, we're going to unpack the Apostles' Creed because it's what we believe. And we're going to understand why we believe it and why it matters. Now, the creed is an historic statement of the Christian faith. The purpose of the creed is to give a brief, clear summary of the Christian faith. There are two creeds in history that have been recognized by all Christians everywhere, no matter the Christian tradition. All Christians everywhere have agreed that the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed are are the two standards. The Apostles' Creed is the oldest of the two and is the shortest of the two. The Apostles' Creed dates from the 2nd century, so for 1,800 years now, Christians have been referring to the Apostles' Creed as an affirmation of an historic understanding of the Christian faith. It's called the Apostles' Creed because it has 12 different uh, values and and ideas listed, the 12 basic concepts of the Christian faith, uh, one for each of the apostles, so therefore the Apostles' Creed. For centuries, the Apostles' Creed has become a reference point for people who are being baptized, baptized in water. So a candidate would come uh, for water baptism. And so the creed would be used as the question reference for those who are presenting themselves for baptism uh, as a qualifier for those, a test, if you will. So do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? The candidate would respond, I do so believe. And do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead and on the third day rose from the dead and ascended to heaven and from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe this? I do so believe. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting? I do so believe. And the candidate then receives baptism. So it is a reference point and it's very exciting to be unpacking the Apostles' Creed in these next weeks so that we connect with all the saints of the past, with the historic doctrines of the church, and to remind us who we are, what we believe, and why we believe it. So let's get into the Creed. The first, the first word I want to emphasize in the first phrase, we'll cover the first phrase today, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Let's start with the word Father. Now the Creed is in the very first line a Christian affirmation. Think about this with me. If you remove the word Father from the first phrase, I believe in God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, now it becomes a creed that that a Jewish person could adhere to. Yeah, that's what I believe. God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. A, A Muslim person could embrace it. I believe in God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. But the creed inserts the word Father. Now watch what that does. We're learning something from the very beginning about the nature of God, that God is a Father, and therefore he cannot be fully understood as a solitary figure, but as one who is in relationship. We know that God the Father is in relationship with his Son and who are in relationship with the Holy Spirit. So the triune God, the Holy Trinity, is in relationship. And not only that. But God the Father wants to be in relationship with you and with me. He wants, to, wants us to know him and to experience his love and to understand him so that he might be revealed in our lives. So Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. You'll remember this occasion, the night of the betrayal, when he's sweating, as it were, great drops of blood, and he prayed, Abba, Father, this most intimate term for a father. It's, it's like the term daddy. It's one of the first words we learn. And, and, so, and so we we understand the intimacy and the and the connectivity and the and the and the desire for communion that God has with all of us. Um, and so God is not some merc- mercurial force out there at the end of the galaxy, you know, unpredictable and fickle. Uh, We're not sure how he's going to respond to us. He's not that way. He's not, uh, in Aristotle's terms, the unmoved mover. He's not that. He's not some vague, generic god of the philosophers. Name your philosopher. And he's not the modern secular physicist who describes this mysterious, invisible force that governs the universe. We know there's some force out there that is holding it all together we can't quite understand what it is yet, but, but it's invisible, and it's out there, and it's powerful, and it's governing the whole thing, and as soon as we figure it out, we'll let you know. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate the, appreciate the heads up. As Christians, we see God as a being, an entity with all the attributes of personhood. Think about it now for a moment. This is God the Father with intelligence and emotion and reason and logic and will. God knows and he feels and he thinks and he acts and he creates. Now understand the implication. The creed reminds us of a very personal God, intimate and relational. He's the force and power behind everything, and he is the meaning of everything. And as it turns out, we are made in the image and likeness of God, the imago Dei, the image of God. That's you and me. So God is our Father And it's such a a wonderful concept in such a personal and intimate relationship. Now, the second thing that we learn in the Creed is that God is the Father Almighty. Now, Almighty is an important concept, too, because this implies power and authority. And we know in our human relationships that if a person only has power and authority, can become abusive. But when tempered by and rooted in love and compassion... Then it makes sense. Then it works. Or you also know in human relationships that if there's no power, if there's no strength, if there's no authority, then this love and compassion can become mere sentimentality. But in God, we find the perfect balance of both, this care and concern and love coupled with authority and power. Today, there are some misinformed leaders who will sometimes argue that we should not call God Father. Because some people have had abusive fathers, have had bad experiences with their own earthly father, but and so they conclude because we shouldn't call God father, we'll call him Creator or Sustainer or Redeemer or something like that, but we won't call him Father. I want to push back against that. Let me just say that in a fatherless culture like the one in which we are living, more than ever we need to remind people of the fatherhood of God. God is our Father and provide folks who've had bad experiences with their own earthly father the positive vision for what they're lacking and to be invited and to be reparented by God, your heavenly father. Everybody deserves to have a good father, and God the father is ready to be yours. He wants to be an intimate relationship with you. Leads me to the third part of this first phrase, which is he is the creator of heaven and earth. He's made everything. The God who calls us into relationship with him, into intimacy with him, is also the creator of the entire cosmos. He's made everything. The one who spoke the universe into existence now calls us by name. Can you get your mind around that? Calls us by name. Same God who made everything. Condescends, stoops down to connect with us. It's a remarkable idea. It's a it's, it's almost indescribable. So we hear this, the psalmist in Psalm 102 saying, In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you won't. James, James tells us in 4.14 of the New Testament, gives us perspective. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So compared to God, we're just a little passing mist. King David, in our text today from Psalm 8, he says, When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? It's a great question, isn't it? God, you're so great. You are so big. Why would you stoop down to connect with us? We are so small. And that's exactly what he does. It's truly amazing that God has taken us, lumps of clay, as we are, And has lifted us up as the stewards of his creation. And and to allow us to rule and reign in eternity. It's amazing. It's just amazing. So we believe in God, the Father Almighty. Maker of heaven and earth. Made everything. Now the last point I want to make this morning is the believe part. It's the first phrase of of the creed. But I want to get to it. At this point, because we've stated what we believe, now let's answer the question: Why do we believe it? Why do we believe this? Why do we believe that God is the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth? And here's what I want to do: is I want to put a definition of belief on the screen for you. It's an idea or set of beliefs that guides the actions of a person or group. So it's just it's what you believe that guides you. It's it's what you hang your hat on. It's what you grab onto, anchor yourself to and informs the way you live your life. It's a belief. So why do we believe what we believe? I want to just give you five reasons why we should believe that God is the Father Almighty, maker of everything. Number one, you want to write this down. I believe because of creation. Because of creation. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1. He said, Ever since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen because they're understood through the things that God has made. Now, God God says through the Apostle Paul, just look around. Look at the created order. Look at the the creativity. Look at the ingenuity. Look at the complexity. Look at the sheer genius required to set this whole thing in motion. You can see, Paul says, just from the created order that there is a God behind all this, and now all of creation, without voice, is shouting very loudly, there is a creator. Listen to what the psalmist said, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. And so the psalmist says creation screams. The glory of God the heavens declare the glory of God that's such an interesting thing you know recently we had this solar eclipse and maybe I've mentioned this to you but I just find this so fascinating that we have a moon you know that floated in front of the sun and cast a shadow on North America and and everybody you know the whole North America just stopped and went wow just like that it was a really interesting moment and people are actually describing it as a spiritual moment Folks who wouldn't normally say that they have any kind of meaningful belief system have had a spiritual moment. Well, why would they have a spiritual moment? It's because the created order is declaring the glory of God. The heavens declare God's glory and praise. And what a fascinating experience it is, this solar eclipse. I mean, think of the, think of the coincidences in place in this whole thing. The, our moon that floats around is actually, is actually 400 times smaller than our sun. 400 times smaller. So compared to the sun, it's just tiny, tiny, tiny. But coincidentally, the moon is 400 times closer to the earth than is the sun. So when the moon floats in front of the sun, casting the shadow, when the moon floats in front of the sun, it actually looks like they're identically the same size. What are the odds of that? Identically the same size. Because one is 400 times larger and the other one is 400 times closer. 400 times. Exactly. So that when they line up like that, it looks like they're the same size. Exactly. Remarkable. So North America goes, wow, man. Wow. Ooh. <laughs> That's spiritual. Because it is. The, the heavens declare the glory of God yeah So it's a great thing so I believe because of creation you know and if God created all things and the earth belongs to God then we are stewards of the earth lots of people in our world today get this mixed up they get it confused they actually see the earth as the thing to worship the thing to idolize and so people who have a distorted worldview will actually see the creation as the as the object of their affection and so we have this, we have this, this uh, radicalized environmentalism and going green and those sorts of things. Now let me just say something. Taking care of the planet should, should be first and foremost embraced by Christian people. Christians should be the best at this. But the call of God to us isn't to environmentalism, and to merely take care of the creation. And, you know, that's such things as turning off the light when you leave the room or, or turning off the faucet when you're shaving or, or recycling or watching how much fuel you consume, that sort of thing. All those things are important and we should do those. But for the Christian person, it's a lot more than that. The way we describe taking care of the, of the order that God has placed around us is creation care. We're, we're not we're not making sure mother earth is is happy we are we are taking care of the creation because the way we take care of the creation is an expression of worship to the creator that's our worldview that's our perspective we we take care of the earth and we lead the cause in in making sure that the earth is cared for well and the resources aren't wasted because we want to to allow that to be another expression of our worship and our glory toward the creator. If you read the whole chapter of Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul said, look, folks get this upside down, they get goofy because they start worshiping the creation rather than the creator. So our worldview is we worship the creator and we realize then that damaging the earth or wasting its resources is displeasing to our creator, so we want to take care of it. It's the place he's given us, and and so in order to honor him, we take care of the place he's given us. It's good preaching right there. So I believe because of creation. Now, here's number two. I believe because of the wonder of human beings. Write that down, the wonder of human beings. Now, for some of you in this room right now, this is the first time in your life you've ever thought of other human beings as wonderful, You've had a lot of thoughts about other human beings, but wonderful wasn't necessarily one of them. But stop and think. Human beings can think, they can reason, they can love, they can perceive, they can create. As it turns out, human beings, people, are the most interesting creatures in the world. There's there's nothing else in all of the created order like people. We We are so unique, so distinctive, so capable, So unbelievably powerful relative to anything else in all of the creation. Human beings are amazing. And I believe that my existence and your existence actually points to someone who is greater than us. Someone who has made us in his image. Imago Dei. The image of God. And so we are a reflection of God himself. And that's what makes us So unique. When that when that perspective is lost, then you have folks in the world whose worldview becomes uh, a tree is a rock is a bug, is a dog is a boy. And all those things are the same, of equal value. Well, that tree is just as valuable as you are. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. The tree is part of the creation. Tree's not been made in the image of God, but the boy has been made in the image of God, the image and likeness of God. We have a unique place in the created order and because of the wonder of human beings i believe in god because i think it points we all point to the reality and existence of god here's number three i believe because of my personal experience with god you say okay now it's going to get too subjective now and you're you're going to lose me if you're not going to be thoughtful and use critical thinking about this okay here's my story 46 years ago last week i knelt in a little church, and I bowed my head because I had become aware of my sins, and I confessed my sins, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. September 1971. I bowed my head, and I gave my life to Jesus. So for 46 years, I've been living for Jesus. And in those 46 years, I've had moments more now than I can remember or count either in prayer or while reading the scripture or in reflection or in worship, when I have felt something, when I have received something, when I got something from someone, from someplace, from someone that actually helped me, it offered me comfort. It offered me, he offered me assurance. He gave me guidance. He gave me affirmation. He gave me hope. He gave me grace. I was in a dark place, and suddenly he made the light to shine. I was in a despairing place, and suddenly hope came to my heart. I was in a place I thought was impossible, but somehow his peace filled my heart and sustained me through that season of hopelessness. I've had experiences with God. Can I get a witness in the room? Anyone? Can I get a witness? Have you experienced God in your life? I believe in God because of these experiences. Something in us needs to trust, that is to give thanks, praise, worship to one who is greater than ourselves. And I have learned over 46 years that there is a God in heaven whom I can trust and when I call on him, he will actually come to my my aid. And meet me at the point of my need. I've had experiences with God. It's one of the reasons I believe in God. Do you believe in God? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because once I was in the dark, and now I have light. Once I was blind, now I can see. Once I was hopeless, and now I have hope. Once I was undone, my life without purpose or direction, now I have a, have a meaning, purpose in life. Oh, yeah, I believe in God because I've experienced God in my life. Here's number four I believe in God because of God events in my life. God events. There have been hundreds of moments in my life that we might call chance encounters. Some people call them providential events, uh, divine appointments, coincidences. Again, chance encounters. These moments that have occurred to call someone, to go somewhere, nudge to do something, make a certain decision, I have found myself time and time again in my life where I was in the right place at the right time doing the right things with the right people. And I have no explanation for it except that there must be a God in the heavens who is ordering my steps and directing my paths. When I read a verse in the Proverbs that says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. I find that that's true, that God actually does it. I believe in God because of these God events in my life. God has spoken to me in major moments, milestones of my life. For example, many years ago, over 40 years ago, God said, You should marry that girl. I said, I agree. I planned, I planned the proposal very carefully. This is what men do. And I was a senior at Valparaiso University. Beth was a senior at Miami of Ohio and Oxford, Ohio, and she was going to come to Valpo for the weekend. And that morning, I was actually in the dorm, in the shower, and I was planning, my, planning the proposal, how the evening would unfold. And in the middle of that moment, I had a God encounter and God speaks to me and he says, I know you're going to propose to Beth tonight, but before you let her answer, he said, you need to add this qualifier by saying to her, if you are not absolutely certain that you want to marry me, then you should hesitate because living with you is going to be very difficult. I said, what you want me to say to her? (laughs) He reiterated it. And so I had this this proposal and now this, this little qualification, this condition. So the day unfolds, hours pass. We've been to dinner. Now we're in a private moment. We're all alone. I get down on one knee. I pop the question. And then before you answer, and then I recite the condition. To which Beth bursts into tears. I'm I'm under, understating. She exploded into tears. That's not that's not it. She was projectile <laughs> tears. It was like a power washer tears <laughs> hitting me. And I thought, oh, uh, how, how, what have I done? <laughs> I've, I've I've obviously blown it. If it's If anyone could mess up a moment like this, it's me. I'm going through this horrible routine, and and she's minutes, minutes just sobbing. She's moaning and sobbing. She's just, she is beside herself, out of control, emotional. Uh, And so I just had to wait because you know what this means? That means no. (laughs) No. So I had to wait. It took her minutes to compose herself. And then after she composed herself, this is what she said. She said this morning when I was walking to class and we compared notes, the minute, listen to me, the minute that God was speaking to me that morning, the same minute she's walking to class in Oxford, Ohio, and God says to her, Greg is going to propose marriage to you tonight but before you say yes, and then the, the caveat. And when I proposed marriage, it didn't surprise her at all. She'd been thinking about it all day. She knew about it. God told her. This is a God moment. And then the words I used as the qualifying statement, watch it now, was verbatim what God had said to her. And it was so powerful and even shocking to her that she exploded in tears and now after several minutes we pause now and look each other again and she says i think i understand this is a very sobering decision i said apparently so and then she said yes Over the years, she has said to me, wasn't like God didn't warn me. <laughs> I just go, yeah. <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> you had your chance. You think that's funny. It wasn't over. The next morning, we meet up, head out to a church. I've been re- recommended to a church by another student at Valpo. Hey, go out to this church. This is really cool. Go out to this church. We drive out, out of town for a few miles. We find this church. It's packed full of students and lots of people. And it's fun and exciting. It's a great church. And we sit down and the preacher gets up and he starts preaching. He's in the middle of his sermon. And then and he stops. God's listening to me right now. He stops. And he says, you know, I don't, this never happens to me, but he said, God, God's just telling me that. There's a couple in the, in the church this morning, and you've just proposed marriage to each other, and God wants the woman to know that she better be sure about what she's doing because it's going to be hard for her living with that guy. I'm going, what the heck? What, a, what did I do? I'm just, I'm minding my own business. How bad can it be? Yeah, you think it's funny. You weren't there in my shoes. Why do you believe in God? Moments like that. Moments like that. And then a moment like when we stood out in the middle of what is now our sanctuary many, many years ago with three or four people and we just toured This car lot, which had been vacated for two and a half years, and the ceiling tiles were falling on the floor, and water was dripping through the roof onto the floor, concrete floor, what is now our sanctuary, we're circled up, we've just been through the whole building, and it was a mess, the doors were knocked down, the windows were busted out, volunteer trees are growing up in the middle of the parking lot, you know, just exploding, the asphalt everywhere, and we're circled up, God, thanks that we got to see this place. But man, what a mess, and, and thank you that you wouldn't ask us to buy this place. Amen. We got out. <laughs> and just a few weeks later, I'm minding my own business, trying to get some solitude and to pr- a little prayer time, and I'm praying, and I have another God moment. God said, you go buy that car lot. No, I'm not buying that car lot. <laughs> that thing's a- have you seen that place? It's a mess. You can't... That can't. And besides, who knows how to turn an old car lot into a church anyway? <laughs> God just said, "You go buy that car," <laughs> and a string of miracles start happening after that. It's amazing. It's a God moment. And then twenty years ago, God said, "I want you to go to Kazakhstan and actually send people from your local church in Muncie, Indiana, to live full time in Kazakhstan, Central Asia, learn the language, learn the culture, and teach them to follow Jesus." And I went, "Are you kidding?" But it was a God moment, and we did it in 20 years of miracles. And then most recently, God said, the most strategic thing that any local church can be involved in right now in America, in North America, is to plant new churches. And I'm calling you to plant new churches. And since we stood up, you know, about a year and a half ago and said, we're going to plant churches, miracle after miracle starts unfolding. You've heard some of them. It's an amazing thing, but these are God moments. Why do you believe? I believe because... These God events happen in my life, and there's no explanation for them except there is a God who is our heavenly Father who's made heaven and earth. Here's the last thing, number five. I believe because of the transforming power of the gospel. This may be the most substantial reason why I believe. Now listen to me. Evolution teaches natural selection and survival of the fittest. Are you following me? Evolution teaches natural selection, survival of the fittest. So if evolutionary mechanics and natural selection is ultimate reality, if that's true, then how do you explain? If all of us are just living on the jungle floor, this is the evolutionary mechanics, survival of the fittest. If all of us are living on the jungle floor and reacting to our instincts and the strong are surviving and the weak are falling away, if that's true, if that's ultimate reality, if there is no other explanation for the way the world works, then how can you explain a person who is very strong and has a lot of assets and resources actually reaching down to care for someone who is really weak and doesn't have any resources at all? How do you explain that? If we came from nothing and we are going nowhere, how do you explain when one human being who has a lot expresses compassion toward another human being who has nothing it doesn't it doesn't follow natural selection survival of the fittest jungle floor evolution it doesn't work how do you explain a man and a woman for 40 years making a commitment in covenant marriage to one another, and she for 40 years being faithful to he, and he for 40 years being faithful to her. How do you explain that? If this is all just about impulse and living on the jungle and and doing whatever makes you happy and whatever gives you pleasure and just reaching for whatever works for you in the moment, If, if that's ultimate reality, how do you explain faithfulness? over four decades how do you explain it when an enemy of yours is actually someone that you can name and describe why they're an enemy and also your testimony is and I pray for them in fact I love my enemy I don't even know how I'm doing it but somehow God has put love in my heart for my enemy and I pray for people who misuse me I actually find myself praying for those who have despitefully used me. How is that possible? It's possible because Almighty God has put inside of us an inner law written on our hearts, giving us clarity about right and wrong and about what honors God in relationships. I believe it points to the one in whose image we were created. I believe we came from someone, and we're going somewhere, and the power that God alone provides for us can transform us into people that are much different than the way we started out. That the power of God to transform and change a life and bring hope where there's been only despair and light where there's been only darkness is the power that God provides in his gospel. And that's why I believe, because I've witnessed it in my own life, and I've witnessed it in the lives of thousands of people that I have seen that God's power is released through the good news of hope provided through his son, Jesus Christ. I believe in the power of the gospel, and that's why I believe in God. What I want us to do now is just to pause. Pause. We've, we've, we've talked about what we believe. We've talked about why we believe it. And now let's think about why it matters. And if you'll bow your heads and close your eyes with me, I just want to make a few summary declarations and you can hear them and you'll understand why it's important that we believe these things. Friends, hear these words. The Almighty Creator has called us to enter into a relationship with Him. So my brothers and sisters make sure your faith is set on this God who is the Lord and King of the universe. Make certain that you are trusting in him, the one who spoke his word, and the moon and stars and planets took their place. Set your faith on the Lord, the King of the universe, who created the mountains and the streams, the birds of the sky, the beasts of the field, the great fish of the sea, Set your faith on the Lord, who is the king of the universe, who created man and woman in his own image, breathed into us the breath of life, and called us into relationship with himself and with one another. The God of Christian proclamation is the God who is on the throne. He is the sovereign Lord. He is the eternal king. And praise God, he is also our heavenly father. It's never been summed up more eloquently than in Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And so we declare, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And all these people said,